So I'm over the moon to announce that we've got a new sponsor. It's BDO, who are the trusted accountancy and advisory firm that you may know. BDO is the perfect partner for our podcast, as we both love to help entrepreneurs build high-value businesses, and BDO are always there to help advise people like you on how to succeed. I had the pleasure of meeting a few of the team at the Publican Awards, and I found out they were massive fans of the podcast, were obsessed with the success of our industry, and also a million miles away from the grey-suited drones that you usually deal with. To check out more about BDO and how they can help you get to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Supersonic! 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 From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The rocket fuel podcast for food, drink and hospitality businesses everywhere. Listen up, tell all your friends and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice on how you can make your brand boom. So today I'm in the east end of London and I'm at Vice, which is the super cool sort of hipster TV channel. I'm there to talk about potential of appearing on one of the TV programmes and had a great meeting with the production team there, so watch out for that. I'm also really blown away by the entrepreneurialism and busyness of uh, Taylor Street Baristas, which is just outside the offices, so lots of cool people having lots of cool coffee from the forefathers and the foremothers of coffee and the coffee scene and the new waves that they talk about in the UK. Today's guest, I've got the greatest pleasure ever speaking to Andrew Tolley of the Tolley family. So of Taylor Street Baristas, the coffee company, the coffee shops, and also formerly Harrison Hill. It's a great listen. He's such a great guy. It was so good to hang out with him. And we went for a couple of beers after in the brewery tap that was just next door to the roastery. Really hope you enjoy this episode, and I loved spending time with the Taylor Street guys and learning much more about what they do and what they're going to do in the future. So it gives me the most caffeine-fueled pleasure ever um, to sit down with Mr. Andrew Tolley. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Are you doing? Yeah, very well. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Great, I'm so glad you said yes to this, by the way. <laughs> After announcing it on that stage at Allegra and saying, please come on my podcast, I think you were one of the only ones that said yes, yeah, so thank right, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just travelling over to your roastery that's reasonably new. Yeah, well, we're, I mean, we're three three years old in this in this site down in, mm-hmm. in Deptford, um, over at Creekside, and we've been roasting for four years now. Mm. So um, we started with our subscription business, yeah, and um, so moving online and doing doing the online retail, and then um, got this space up and running and, and rolled out full production for all our cafes, but also wholesale accounts um, yeah. back in two thousand sixteen. So nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. So you're kind of like this is your kingdom. Yeah, and you've does, got a little yeah. sort of Rapunzel room at the top, yeah, you know, exactly. sort of yeah, that helps sure that. Right. Yeah, but, but um, 
Deptford's really grown on me. It's an amazing, um, amazing little part of London. It's got yeah. a really strong community, and, and this area is um, developing nicely. There's yeah. a fantastic bakery um, attached to us called Bread and Butler, and then there's a, a great um, tap room and brewery called Little Faith, and mm-hmm. um, some other great businesses in the area. Yeah. And it's uh, the the community and, um, and 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 people are really kind of rallying around. Yeah, yeah. it seems to be like a real true community and like I just wasn't sure what to expect you know I said to you when I came in and no judgment or anything but it was just like you know what will it be like and what's this and you know have you done this for you know much cheapness or something like that and then you get here and it's like you just can feel something's happening yeah you know it seemed so great yeah I mean it's a little bit little bit edgy it's it's history is quite um it's got a a mottled history shall we say and you know Dire Mm. Straits actually played their first um, London gig in a, in a pub down the road. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so, and there's. Um, oh, is that the one on the corner just there? Uh, not the one just on this corner, but yeah, just uh, just um, just down wow. the way. So. Um, Something to swing. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting, <laughs> really interesting area. Yeah. You've got the river, rivers, you know, a couple of kilometres away. So yeah. Greenwich and so yeah. No, I I think yeah. Anyone that's looking for property right now, I'd get over here yeah. quick, smart. I think I needed to be here eight years ago. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Bad advice from me then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess we first, well, we sort of met, but hardly met, because I was doing a little bit of work for you guys way back when I when I just had left Pret. Yeah. Um, but I was dealing a lot more with Nick at the time. Yeah. And then we were kind of ships past in the night and we, we never really caught up, so that was a shame. Um, so I'm glad we're doing this now. Yeah. So I guess... You know, you're in a position today in the podcast where I want to hear all about you, but also a bit of collectiveness stories and, and speaking for your siblings as well. Yeah, so sure. Yeah. It would just be really good to hear about, you know, the story, how you got here, where the passion for coffee came from, you know, all that stuff. Because, you know, I just, you know, fessing up with you, you've just done an amazing job and you're real pillars of the coffee community you know whether you know that or not you know you're just always well spoken about so it's always good to hear so it'd be great to kind of try and take it back a bit and you know back to Australia and see what was going on yeah absolutely yeah um so thanks thanks very much for for giving me the opportunity and um and uh, apologies to Nick and Laura for uh, whatever I say from now (laughs) that you don't agree with we can edit it yeah (laughs) um but we are we are three siblings so um uh and we've been in, in business together since 2006. So mm. we started Taylor Street um, back in Richmond in 2006. And um, we started started the business because we'd come from Australia and had gotten really used to, um, you know, going out for, for coffee and, and great, great cafes, great food. Mm. Um, and that whole cafe culture that's really um, blossomed in London in the, yeah. last, um, in the last 10 years or so was... Um, was already in Australia, in Sydney and Melbourne, particularly yeah. back in um, you know the late nineties and two mm. thousands. So, um, so that culture and lifestyle was 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 strong, and we, we came over here. I, I actually just came over for a holiday. Okay. Um, halfway through that holiday, I thought I'll stick around for a while and oh, nice. find some work. Um, and I was actually looking for work relating to my my degree, which was environmental science and business, mm-hmm. uh, but. Um, yeah, sort of was looking for work for a while, and then Nick had also just finished uh, an MBA in, in INSEAD in France, and he um, was looking for work. And, and at the same time, we were looking for good coffee. <laughs> and you, <laughs> and know, you couldn't find it in yeah, France. Couldn't find it in France. Oh, couldn't find it in London. And we were just thinking, <laughs> why don't we just do it ourselves? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so 
about six months later, Laura um, had finished her, her studies in Australia and um, she joined us. And, um, and we then spent the next few months um, studying the, the you know, local London market, trying mm-hmm. to understand the business here and, and, and the opportunity. And, um, and Taylor Street was born out of that. So. And what about, I mean, where did you even start? with that you know just because I might say oh I really want a good beer or whatever it is and I wouldn't have the first clue where to even start so how did yeah. you go about that I mean just to just to frame it I mean 2006 was um, really at that time in London there were um, you know Monmouth Coffee was, was good and, and Flat White uh, a cafe and so mm-hmm. it had just opened literally in late 2005 so there was still very little in the way of good coffee and what yeah. we now you know you can get a lot of good coffee around London um, and so that didn't exist and, and also um, people didn't really know what good coffee was uh, yeah so, that's a big point so we were, we were we were nervous because when we first opened our doors on the menu it said things like flat white and long black and this is in 2006 before yeah. uh, before anyone had, had done that except for flat white um, and so it was a gamble, um, but we wanted to kind of talk to our Australian heritage, mm-hmm. and um, and by having those drinks on the menu, uh, all the the locals in Richmond who were from New Zealand, all the expats who were from New Zealand or or, um, or Australia, came in, saw the coffees, saw latte art, and that was they were they were they were happy. Yeah, yeah. They went back to their offices. Word of mouth spread, mm-hmm. and um, and next thing you know, we had um had a really good uh, regular trade. So. That's um, um, that's how it happened with Taylor Street. But how do you start with good coffee? I mean, I had a bit of a history in hospitality, interest mm-hmm. in food, and um, you know, food, wine, uh, coffee from um, the late nineties. Uh, so it was always um, always a part of my my day to day, and I worked in that um, back in Sydney as well. Mm-hmm. So um, the hospitality um, thing uh, was was part of my life for, for many years before before starting the business but yeah. I didn't think I'd be working in it I thought I'd be um, become an environmental consultant or something yeah so. and you know apart from you know flat white being there and all the rest of it you know what was the gap I mean was, was Starbucks around and I mean Costa was around and but then that leap to so, yeah you know what what is the fundamental difference then between their coffees and craft coffee if you want yeah, to yeah good say. question um so I mean, what? So the the, the history is um, that uh, Costa Costa one of the first um, kind of Italian espresso brands to hit the hit the market in London, and um, and so they came in using, I guess what you what you would sort of see as a fairly American model with large drink sizes, lots of milk, um, darker roasted coffee, and um, and they kind of. Grew, um, grew the market in that way, mm-hmm. and then um, a company called the Seattle Coffee Company. Um, yeah, Scott and Alley. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. Yep. So you, you know them and mm-hmm. the history with Union, and, and so Tours and Macatonia were the roasters for them, mm-hmm. and um, and so they they came on board because they'd actually asked um, Starbucks to come to the UK. They said, "There's no good coffee here. We, you know, mm-hmm. we love love to have Starbucks here." Starbucks said, no, it's not our market. Um, and so they started uh, Seattle Coffee Company as a result, um, grew that business, uh, Tours and Macatonia roasted for them. Mm-hmm. And then Starbucks came in a few years later and, um, and acquired them. And, um, 
and at the same time acquired the Tours of Macatonia Roastery, which kind of freed up um, Jeremy and Stephen to to move away, mm-hmm. um, to rethink coffee, and, and then come back and start Union Hand Roasted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Nero, um, obviously, on the scene. So then you had um, uh, Costa Nero and, and Starbucks, and that was the way that the market was grown. It was where... Um, you know, the sort of cappuccino habit came about in London, yeah. I would call it. And um, like many things, you get these trends in coffee and um, and so people started drinking cappuccinos and then they progressed to lattes and then they progressed to flat whites, you know, eventually. Um, so, which is, which is kind of where we're at now. But um, the, uh, the taste for coffee grew through the chains, but the taste for higher quality coffee grew through, I think... Um, migration of either Australians and, and, and New Zealanders mm-hmm. um, or people from the UK who had travelled to Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. So it's a sort of wave of growth in 2008. A lot of good cafes that started then were started um, by, by Australians and Kiwis, but mm-hmm. then a lot of the later cafes that have opened up have been started by um, by the people who went to Australia. So mm-hmm. people like Maxwell, from Claudia Dashwood, Claudia mm-hmm. Coffee, um, a good number of others as well. So. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, on a, on a personal note, I was in Sydney in 2006 during the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So I went when it was winter, which was stupid. But um, I went along and um, I, that was the first taste I had of, like, really decent coffee. Yeah. And I was with lastminute.com and they sent me over there to see the Australian... It was almost like a franchise thing. Sure. But next to the hotel... And I'll get this wrong probably, but it was something like it was called like Little Venice, okay. or Venice Cafe, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was ne- it was right in the centre of the, the town, um, and it was like a Menzies Hotel or one of these things. And it was around, the- and I just almost couldn't wait to wake up, yeah, to go. And it just became a ritual. And then my wife came over for a few days at the end of my trip, and yeah, just every day. And I think they maybe sold records as well, sure, yeah, which. It's just my absolute dream, like to have a coffee shop that sells vinyl. Like, like I just yeah. would be so happy. Yeah. But that all that just changed everything. Yeah, for sure. When you have a when you have your first really good coffee, and, and often it's with milk, and it's it's so uh, luxurious. It's that that beautiful pairing of creamy, well textured milk with um, a really nicely pulled espresso, and that that marriage is um, is just so good, and mm. it just it sucks people in. And yeah. then once you have that, then you really struggle to go back you know you, it's very hard to go to a bad coffee that's you know mm-hmm. where the the, the the coffee's roasted too darkly and, and the espresso is not pulled well and the, um, the the milk might be low quality or just steam badly and, and yeah, yeah you, you avoid it <laughs> have you ever seen the the it crowd the it crowd yeah yeah have you seen the sketch where they're making the coffee badly no. Oh, have a check that check out that, on. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just I was watching it the other night, and yeah. the guy really cocks up okay. in terms of how he's yeah. doing the milk, and you know, and yeah. So have, have it, and then there's this suave barista who then manages to put the the woman's face on the top of it, you know, yeah, and, sure. and she's yeah. like really into him kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But it's really cool. So starting the business, then, so you sat down and you just said, right, I think there's an opportunity here. What happened? Was it kitchen table business plan, or was it? bigger than that or did you have external help or how yeah, did that good all work? Um, so I mean conveniently Nick had just finished an MBA at one of the best business schools <laughs> in the world so handy um, so <laughs> and he um, worked for cheap right because yeah, he's your brother <laughs> he does yeah so, and he doesn't um, he doesn't think small uh, so mm-hmm. we 
we, we had no capital, we had no um, real access to finance and we had no credit history in, in the UK. So to get, um, to get the first side off the ground, uh, Nick utilised um, uh, a credit card. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but the model we chose was a, a concession model. So we, um, the, first, the first site we, got, we, we opened was um, inside of a, a business called Source Foods. Um, mm-hmm. Based out of Richmond, they're um, uh, right next to the train station. It's now Sainsbury's, um, but the they had a good-sized premises, and we were searching around for businesses, retail units that we could go and support. So, mm-hmm. the thing about coffee is um, people um, people love coffee, and, and like you said before, you know, you you were waiting to go up, go out and get that coffee yeah. every morning. Um, so it builds regular trade, mm-hmm. and um, and while you might not go and buy a record every day, yeah. um, when you're going to go buy a record, and you know there's good coffee, mm-hmm. it's a really good pairing. And so mm-hmm. that same thing applies for hairdressers, it applies for um, for delis, food mm-hmm. stores, and all these things. So you you bring people into the business on a regular basis, you build rapport, you create relationships, build a nice community, um, and. That was how we wanted to, to grow Taylor Street. So the first um, first site was in a deli. The second site was down in Brighton in uh, travel agents. Mm-hmm. Um, so quite a forward-thinking travel agent at the time called Travel Bag. And they, um, this was that was, on Queen's Road? Yeah, on Queen's yeah, Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted to... Um, to this was pre-2008, um, uh, pre-economic um, uh, collapse, basically. Yeah, yeah. And they were actually in, um, in expansion mode and they were looking to grow sort of seven to 13 sites with, um, you know, great uh, retail um, locations mm-hmm. around the country, put a, a Taylor Street coffee concession into it. Mm-hmm. And so they could offer their customers a, a really nice coffee while they're sitting there booking these um, sort of long haul, yeah, yeah. um, once in a lifetime holidays. Yeah. And, um, and then the uh, economic crash happened. So that put those plans to um, to the side but um the we, we had that cafe until 2010 inside mm. travel inside travel bag and then we moved up the road to our own location but yeah so we were, we were aiming to grow concessions in other people's businesses for a few years but then um after after the first three or so we realized that um you don't get the ability to control ambience opening time to really create yeah. the culture and um and everything that mm. you want to build the business that's um much more aligned to your brand Mm -hmm. and so as a result we started looking for our own premises um but still thinking um grow the business but like with any business you have to iterate you have to always be thinking what's the next step is this working is it not yeah and then move on so and what about um the name then where did that come from yeah so taylor street's in darlinghurst in sydney okay it's a, 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 a residential street um eastern suburbs where um, Nick, Laura, and I all lived. Oh, great. So, so it was like just family. Yeah, we're, we're baristas yeah. from Taylor Street. Well, it's just nice that then you've got that, you know, but it's lucky yeah. you grew up in a road that sounds nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's always like Duddingston Avenue. It's like, yeah. it doesn't really have the, yeah, the yeah. same ring. But we, um, 
we've we've failed to tell that story effectively, I think, and um, and so most people call us Taylor Saint baristas or Saint Taylor oh. baristas and all these other things. So yeah, right. but um, yeah, we are Taylor Street baristas. Yeah. Oh, it was a little bit of that with Bleaker Burger when I was um, speaking to Zan on the yeah. podcast, and you know, it was just that you know people always try and shortcut your name or yeah. get it a bit wrong or whatever, you know. So yeah. it's always a bit of a nightmare. So the first set of stores were happening. Then what about the coffee? So you partnered with Union? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Union, um, uh, 2006 to 2016. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, 10 years Ten years of working with them really closely. Um, love their, their, their passion, but also their sourcing policy, mm-hmm. um, the way they, um, they, they built their, their business and, and, and coffee around the ethical supply chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, was really important for us. Um, they did a great job, and they actually, um, uh, when we so we kept on growing the cafes and the business, and, and by 2012 we had probably uh, six cafes or so. Mm-hmm. Shoreditch and Central London, like uh, Bank and Liverpool Street Station, and, um, and we had Mayfair and South Quay, um, and uh, maybe, maybe one or two others, but. Um, the the opportunity arose to um, to create a joint venture with Tesco, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, that joint venture is called Harrison Hall, mm-hmm. and um, and so that came about because Tesco um, realised there was this um, that, that the future of retail was changing, um, that people were travelling less to large superstores, mm-hmm. and that. Um, and that uh, they wanted to sort of um, take advantage of, of some of the benefits of, of a cafe, which is um, uh, you know providing a place to, to sit and relax, but also giving people a reason to come out to a, a supermarket. And so our involvement there was to um, to build the brand, um, to uh, build everything that contributes to a brand in, in effect. And a lot of that is um, the people. Mm-hmm. So the, the way in which we recruited, um, so attracted, um, recruited, trained, and I think retained, incentivized people to join Harrison Hall mm-hmm. was quite unique, very um, kind of focused on behaviors and strengths, mm-hmm. um, very focused around the quality of the product and building um, and, and ensuring that there was passion around that, that, that product. Um, so we, um, yeah, Nick, Nick incredibly focused on, on the culture and, and building that within, within Harrison, yeah. um, to create a strong employer brand. And, um, and you see now the, the people who have come out of Harrison Hall who are doing great things in the coffee mm-hmm. industry, the retail industry. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I think, uh, sort of testament to the success of, of that strategy. Um, but with Tesco, with, with, uh, Harrison Hall, um, the aim was to yeah to build build a great um, cafe business, mm-hmm. but um, taking um, being part of this this trend um, towards higher quality. Yeah. So um, taking what we were doing in London and central London in terms of quality coffee, mm-hmm. um, but scaling it and, yeah. and and actually taking it to parts of the UK where Taylor Street was never going to go. Um, and we retained 
you know, 100% ownership of Taylor Street. And mm-hmm. We weren't, we were never, um, our plans had never been to take Taylor Street to, to Birmingham, for example. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Birmingham. Nothing yeah. with you, but, um, but it's just not a Taylor Street um, location. Yeah. But Harrison Hall, on the other hand, um, could go there. Mm-hmm. Um, it also could go to Swindon. It could go to Reading. It could go to all these towns. What, where, um, uh, Watford. Yeah. 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 Which actually did, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah we've been, yeah, we're, um, we, we, and we actually grew it to about 50, 50 something sites, including Stansted. We were the first um, specialty coffee business in an airport in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of did that um, as a challenge. It was uh, a challenge to see if we could scale mm-hmm. a specialty coffee business, um, a challenge to see if we could build a training program uh, mm-hmm. that would um, allow us to retain quality um, in a business but also grow quite rapidly we were, we were doing a site a week for a while mm-hmm. um, so Tesco financed it and we we were the, the, the sort of sweat equity in the business I guess yeah. yeah and I, just not to dwell on it too much because there's a bigger story with, with Taylor Street and what you're doing now but just like the name always intrigued me as well you know yeah. so um, yeah how, how did all that come how did you create the brand and all these things yeah so I was um at the time we were creating the brand it was um I mean Nick Nick was much more heavily involved in this. Um so I won't tell the story as, as well as him and, and Laura as well, because um, Laura's always been more in the brand and design side as mm-hmm. well. So um she should probably be on the podcast. Um but um <laughs> we'll sort that out. next time. Yeah. <laughs> uh so um yeah, so Harrison Hall uh again trying to trying to create um something that was authentically British mm-hmm. um, because um, the, the the story had to kind of resonate with um, with the, the British consumer mm-hmm. um, who's, a, who's a Tesco customer but also on the, on the UK high street yeah. and um, they're quintessentially Har- like uh, Harrison Hall quintessentially English names um, British names don't want to exclude no no and um and the, the story, the reference to them is actually uh, from one of uh, Peeps' diaries, Samuel mm. Peeps' diaries, yeah. That's yeah. cool. And, well, I just think the branding of it, the colour schemes, was a great job. I think yeah. the joy was you were getting that quality coffee in the high street, but it was the stuff that made the difference, right? And I remember going as a customer, you know, a few times, like Amersham we used to go to, because we used to live not too far away, and there was just this different attitude to them, right? Which was, one of the days I was doing some work, I, I, for whatever reason, I was over there and I had my laptop, working away, and I got a tap on the shoulder and I thought, oh, is it going to be like a no laptops policy? Yeah. And they were like, the, the, the lady says, um, do you want to plug in? Right, yeah. Do, there's a plug point there, do you want to, do you want to charge your laptop? And it was like, what? You know, because <laughs> usually you're getting skilled at or thrown out or, you know, and then there was some really neat marketing things that you did really well um, as well, which was in the toilets, just like scribbling over the tiles in interesting ways, like yep. really good artwork. You know, I thought the food looked superb. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely the tomato soup was excellent, yep. definitely. Um, so it was just really well thought through, you know. Um, so in the end then, when did you decide that you wanted to focus on Taylor Street more and, yeah. you know, sort of depart? Yeah, so um, it was a, a decision that was it was kind of ours, but it was also in a way kind of it was forced on us in, in a way. Mm. Um, where 
literally just a change in strategy from testing. So sure. So um, Dave. Yes, came in. Yeah, I can't, I don't know. He's not. I know. I'm not calling him yeah, Dave. I don't. I can't yeah. remember his second name. But yeah, new CEO yeah, came in. He's done pretty um, well, I think. Yeah, he has done well. Dave um, Lewis. Dave Lewis. Oh, Lewis yeah. yeah, yeah. So the um, the the previous CEO Phil Clark um, effectively got fired. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a, a black hole in their in their accounts because um, they were. Um, yeah, a financial black hole, let's just say mm-hmm. that. Um, but I actually think on that point, though, not the black hole, the other yeah. bit, I, I think actually the previous CEO, we might look back and see that he was maybe a little bit ahead of his time. Yeah, I think... Because um, it was a quite a bold strategy. It was a bold strategy. Yeah. And I think um, I think given a bit of time, um, it might have it might have paid off. Yeah. But it, because certainly, you know, Harrison Hall cafes are profitable, and mm. um, and it was good business. And the um, I think the issue, you know, often when a new CEO comes in, they look at the the business and they think, how can I, you know, leave a mark, but also what's most important right now. Mm. And they're allowed to write off a bit of debt, um, yeah. you know, write off, you know, if they think it's not, not the right thing. So, you know, Dave Lewis looked at me, and thought, well, this is. Uh, it's too fragmented. I need um, a more focused um, business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. stability and a more focused business. And he got rid of a whole bunch of um, things that were not core parts yeah. of the, the Tesco business. Um, so all, he, the, all the restaurants went, right? Like Giraffe and everything. Yeah, yeah. Giraffe went. Um, I think they, I don't know if they've still got Euphorium, but um, the bakery, but um, that might be the only one they retained. Yeah. They had Dobby's, they had, um, you know, Garden Centre, they've, um, the, Harrison Hall cafes, all, all sorts of stuff, and, mm. and so we realised in 2015 that there was not going to be um, any upside for us in Harrison yeah. Hall. So, and it was taking so much focus as well, yeah, you know. And yeah. Nick was full time the right way. Yeah, yeah Nick was full time. I was 50-50 Taylor Street Harrison Hall, yeah. more like 80-20 Harrison Hall. Um, and so, yeah, we just said, right, let's um, let's get back into Taylor Street, and we looked at the coffee market at the time, mm. and it was. Um, you know, it's 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 really evolved a lot, and yeah. retail has changed a lot, and um, you know we're really experiencing um, this sort of downturn in spending, and mm-hmm. and a pretty challenging retail market. And yeah. retail's part of the fun of retail is it's always evolving, and mm-hmm. you can never sit back and relax. You know, mm-hmm. you've, got to, you've got to keep on changing and um, and developing your business and your brand. Um, so yeah, we looked at the market in 2015, and we realised that. Retail was going to be difficult. We needed to have a more holistic coffee business, mm-hmm. so we um, we started with the the small scale roasting for the subscription business, mm-hmm. um, and then we um, had raised um, some some money f- uh, using a, a crowd fund to mm-hmm. um, to to grow the business further, and um, and with the proceeds of that, we set up a cafe in New York. Um, yeah. Oh wow! Um, and that's been going well. And then we set up um, the roastery here. Yeah. And um, and we've uh, and we got the Chancery Lane Cafe off mm-hmm. the ground. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, we sort of invested in the business in that way. Um, didn't invest as much in, in retail growth um, and looked more at wholesale because yeah. having a business where you have all these different elements, mm-hmm. all these different channels for sales is um, is. Uh, a lot more of a solid um, business in, in the coffee world anywhere at the moment. So, yeah. That's brilliant. So crowdfunding, was that scary to do? Did you feel there was a lot of responsibility once people gave you their money or how, how's all that 
kind of working now? And yeah, you know? I mean, any um, any any time you take an investment, you're you're really it's a it's a relationship and it's mm. a bond with the investor. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a there's a, a feeling like a, a personal feeling that you have to you know ensure that the business is doing well, mm-hmm. um, as well as professional and and, and, and financial. Um, so. Yeah, everything is focused on you know making sure that your investors you know are getting their money back, getting a return on that investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and crowdfunding is a really nice way to do it because it builds on the community that we've already established in the cafe. Yeah. So a lot of the investors are actually customers who have been coming to us for years, or even people who moved away but still you know still love the coffee or the brand. And um, it's sort of a, a bragging rights yeah. kind of thing, isn't it? Not, yeah. not in a bad way, but it's like people feel quite pumped yeah. you're supporting the brand that they love which is yeah, exactly. just quite a nice thing yeah, you know? yeah. and there's two kinds of um, uh, crowdfunding you can do a, a, a debt like a bond mm-hmm. which is what we did we did the first we were the first people to do a coffee bond mm-hmm. and, um, and that was an 8% um, bond which we've um, been paying interest on over the last four years mm-hmm. we just um, the bond came to term and <clears throat> we just paid back um almost half of the people who invested because um, we gave gave the option of rolling the bond over. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so over half the people who invested in us um, want to just continue getting the interest okay. and, and getting the, the store credit and so on. So, um, so that's really nice as well. Well, um, I, was, I was just wondering when you said you'd paid half of them, like how you chose, you know, was it yeah. A to Z or something yeah. like that? Yeah, six months <laughs> ago, you give them the choice. You say, yeah. do, you want to, do you want to cash in or do you want, yeah, uh, yeah. Do you want to keep going? Or, do you want to keep going? And, and yeah, less than, less than yeah. half said, um, we'll take our money back. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, we're actually, um, we're about to do a an equity raise actually through the Crowdcube platform as well. So, Great. Yeah. That will be a good story for them. And it, you know, it always helps when you've got a nice brand that, you know, it'll make them look good as well. It's, you know, a nice, you know, I think, you know, people like Chilango, for example, have been yeah. doing a, a seriously good job. The burrito bond, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also Eric is James Bond on the rooftop. Have you seen this? Yeah. He's all dressed up in a, a rooftop thing. Right. And there's like, you know, it's like that Day of the Dead procession. And, sure, sure. and he's doing like the the ad for it. It's quite incredible. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's on YouTube and that. Yeah, it's quite, right, it's okay. quite, yeah. and because you sort of know and stuff, it's quite funny, you know, you yeah. see, you're thinking, you start to act really well there. That's but yeah, so it's been cool. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the good folk at BDO. BDO have been long-term supporters of the hospitality sector and they are really passionate about supporting innovative entrepreneurs on their journeys and they also want to give you the right advice and support to grow your business. Just in case you don't know, BDO provides tailored advice to the sector across corporate finance, due diligence, tax and all accounting matters. BDO work tirelessly to give their clients the advice that they need when they need it to succeed. For more information on BDO and how they can take your business to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Hashtag ad. So, how many are you at now then? So, how many Taylor Street baristas? Yep, so there's 11 11 cafes. Uh, We've got the 10 in London, one in New York. Signed the lease on another one in New York. Oh, great. So, that'll be opening um, June, July, through July. So, as part of the, the... the pivot, the, the, the mm-hmm. shift away from just doing retail. Um, our focus has um, 
how we can support bigger businesses in this um, you know global shift towards quality. Yeah, and that's um, you know that's something we, we picked up on with Harrison Hall, obviously. Mm. But it's a global trend and it's not going away. So you see it with sourdough bakeries, you mm. see it with craft beer, mm-hmm. you see it with craft distilleries. Yeah. Um, but um, with with coffee, coffee is so instrumental to people's quality of life. Whether it's um, you know your, your your weekend coffee at home, mm-hmm. um, or your you know the, the the coffee you're getting in your office, or the coffee you're getting at the cafe mm-hmm. down the road, um, on your way to work, on your way back from work, you know it's um, it's the way in which people are using cafes. So all these things are, are kind of opportunities for us to to bring Taylor Street Coffee to mm-hmm. to them. Um, and are you doing like white labels as well, or do you just mainly want it to be Taylor Street that's so pushed. it's mostly um, it's it's mostly Taylor Street mm-hmm. um, so the big partnership we have at the moment and um, and this is where we're, we're really busy at the moment is with Sidexo oh um, yeah uh-huh. yeah so Sidexo is um, actually one of the biggest um, retailers of coffee in the world but it's, it's almost all, like that's a Lego fact isn't it it's like yeah. Who's the biggest producer of tiles in the world that's Lego? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's this yeah. one of those. You just yeah. don't expect it, you know. Yeah, over a billion coffees a year. Um, they um, they came to us because they service a market um, that they want to. That there's there's strong demand in for better quality, and that's mm-hmm. the, the corporate services market. But they're also finding the leisure market as well has got mm-hmm. high demand for quality, and so. They came to us and said, can you help us to create a, a brand and scale a, a more quality coffee offer? Um, we want it to be global. We want it to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And we want to be able to offer this to to our, our clients who mm-hmm. are demanding this. They realized that <clears throat> they were losing accounts because, um, because no. they didn't have quality coffee. Mm-hmm. And they realized that um, they weren't winning accounts because uh, they didn't have a quality coffee offer. Mm-hmm. So it means that um, we've got it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> in that situation, yeah. So we built this new brand for them. It's kind of Harrison Hallmark too, but it's all um, in Sodexo accounts. Mm-hmm. And we've got. Um, Can you see what it's six, called? Yeah, it's uh, called Chapter Inverse. Oh, okay. Yeah. So another another yeah, um, yeah. another round, yeah. Yeah, but it's um, it is uh, we've got six sites opening in the next uh, three to four months. So UK or international? We've got one in Calgary. Okay. And, uh, the yeah, one in Calgary, and then we've got um, one in Leeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already announced the the, the Leeds one is um, actually a partnership with Santander Bank, and okay. they are um, turning some of their retail premises mm-hmm. into what they call work cafes or co-working spaces. Very and good. so they're going to actually um, scale back the retail banking element within the within the unit, uh-huh. have a co-working space, and then. For Santander Bank customers, they get a twenty percent discount yeah. um, on the coffee. Uh, but they can they also offer sort of banking services to people going into the into the co-working space. But you could just use it as a co-working space as you would any other. So go in there, enjoy a coffee, set your laptop yeah. up, take advantage of the Wi-Fi. Oh, if it happens cool. that you're building a business and you want some advice on, yeah, on, yeah. on um, lending, then then you can talk to them for that as well. So, well, yeah, on my local high street. In Port Slade, which you know very well, yeah. next near the small batches place, yeah. um, Santander's just like getting a refurb. Yeah, if that's what's happening there, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, that's it's just the end of a street. Yeah, it's, it's oh, been trout in trout in Leeds. Ah. Uh, second sites on the agenda and in, um, in Cheapside in London. Okay, um, 
but we announced this partnership a, a few weeks ago. Great. Uh, so yeah, very very exciting to be involved in that. And then the other one is um, is chapter and verse, and they're in uh, three sites. One of which opened up last week, and the next two are opening up uh, in June. Mm-hmm. Mid June. And again, how did you get that branding done? What did you do? Who worked, yeah, so, who worked with you? You know all that stuff. Yeah, so the Harrison Hall brand was done by someone. Yeah. Um, and then. And that's the old classic joint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and. They're very good. Shoot me down. Uh, we're going to have to um, put this in the show notes or something, but um, uh, I'll get the name of the agency who did. Oh, that's so cute. No, I'm just curious. Yeah. You yeah. know, because um, already without even seeing what it looks like, it's. Solid, solid name. Yeah, I've actually got a cup here. Oh, okay. You want to <laughs> have a look? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a solid name, you know. Um, very good. Oh, that's cool. That's exciting. Yeah, you can go to chapterandbirthcoffee.com as well, actually. Ah, so. nice hustle. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, you've, you've started this side of things. You're building the roastery here. What about sort of other verticals? So you've got a retail vertical, you've got a wholesale vertical. Mm-hmm. Is, what else is kind of going on at the moment? What else? What's the other things that you've got going on? Yeah. Um, so an interesting project, very early stage. Um, but again, there's a global trend and a lot of big players looking at this closely in terms of cold brew. Uh-huh. And we... There's some really rotten cold brews out there, yeah. right? And you're, and you're trying to make the face that it's really good and you love it. And you're just like this... It's just disgusting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so much of that. Yeah, it's um, so true. The uh, So we're not getting into the RTD market. We're mm. getting into something that will support that. Um, okay. But it's a bit too early. There's sure. um, yeah, a big opportunity there. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something we're, we're very excited about working, working hard on. But for us, um, as with anything, there has to be you know, quality and sustainability and ethics behind what we do. Yeah. Um, but it always starts with quality and, mm. then we, and then we move from there. So one of the reasons, as you say, with cold brew, it's mm. often not very nice. So we want to ensure that the, the product we put out actually is of the right quality for um, for what we would produce or serve yeah. in one of our cafes, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, you know, what about the home side of things? I mean, obviously you can buy it to take home, but... You know, pods and all these things, are you looking at that stuff or is that something environmentally yeah. you're a bit dodgy on? Or? So pods, I mean, pods, I, I, like I see where people, I see where people are using them. Mm. Um, they don't quite meet my, my quality standards. Like if yeah, you do yeah. try a good Ethiopian coffee as a pod, it doesn't have the floral notes. It doesn't have that juicy acidity. It has staled. Um, right. You can get an okay coffee out of mm. it, but it's not as good as it should be. And so it's not, it's not, it's just not good enough. And then on top of that, you've got um, plastic packaging waste. Um, you know, whether they're compostable or not, most of the compostable capsules are not being composted, and yeah. most of the recyclable capsules are not being recycled. Yeah, so yeah. it's um, it's, it's just a tricky spot, it's isn't it? Packaging, and you know, the quality is not there. So I'd rather not go into that space anyway. Yeah. Um, well, on your three strike rule. Yeah. Quality, no. Sustainability, no. Ethics, not really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, not not somewhere we're, we're strongly focused on. Um, the instant coffee market, soluble coffee market, I've looked at that. Um, mm-hmm. But again, all the high-quality instants still taste like instant coffee. Yeah. They've got this sort of wheaty, malty note to them. Mm. Um, you get a bit of more underlying acidity and stuff, but it's still 
Is there a, you know, you being a coffee guru, is, is there a best of class in that? Um, yeah, so, so I've tried a lot of the American ones. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Swift Cup, for example. And, and it's soluble. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, little instant sachets, but okay. they're, they're super expensive. It's like $4 a cup for US. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what, to have at home? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, you buy a little sachet, order online, and, and it, it costs you $4 a go. And then what about, um, also got a bunch of coffee questions just yeah. for, for in a bit, but uh, thank you for that. So what about tea? We're having tea. Um, yeah. Are you getting into that? Are you partnering? Are you? How are you going about the? Because it feels like it's just a latent giant. You know, it could, it could go. Yeah, and I'd love for it to go. Mm. Um, so, tea is more of a passion project mm-hmm. for me. Um, the in terms of, and I think the opportunity is more in the the online space. Um, there's a little bit in retail, but it's such a small percentage of cafe sales retail yeah. cafe sales um, it's really hard to to, um, to turn the dial on that because yeah. people's perception in the UK for tea is that it's um, you know it should be um, black it should be um, brewed in 30 seconds and you should be able to add milk and it will be a, a sort of um, yeah. a, a sunburned um, um, sort of tan colour um, and that's not good tea uh, so so we've um, we've been supplying um or buying tea through postcard teas for mm-hmm. um, for many years now. Uh, really admire that business. They um, they were the first tea company to be putting the name of the the, the tea garden um, and the producer, the master, on, on, on all their bags mm-hmm. um, from 2006 onwards, and, and it's commendable. The tea industry is kind of behind uh, the coffee industry in many ways. It's kind of like cider beer. Yeah, they wanted to. Uh, yeah. they wanted to really like hide. They want to hide the provenance. Right. Because they fear that um, other people go in and buy the tea from the same garden, you know, if, if they do that. But really, it's because they don't want that traceability. They yeah. don't want to um, highlight that they're buying from very commercial farms with, yeah. you know, low ethical standards mm. and, and all this other stuff. So, um, but uh, Tim from Postcard a few years ago um, offered us a, a blend um, opportunity. So he actually imports for us a, a tea from the Daintree Rainforest. And so we have uh, an Aussie breakfast blend, and um, it's a blend of um, uh, an, an Australian tea mm. with an Indian tea. And then um, mm. our Aussie grey, which is um, the Australian tea from Daintree with um, a Sri Lankan tea. Mm-hmm. And then also two bergamots, which he's, he, he blends for us in London. Um, right. And they're both directly sourced from farms in Sicily. So, And you're putting those out as Taylor Street? Or yeah, Taylor Street. Adventure? Uh, they're, they're just on the menu as yeah, Aussie yeah. Grey or Aussie Breakfast. And then right. we have uh, other postcard teas on the menu. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I think what was so nice um, with tea, you know, back uh, with a few year places was you gave the egg timer, you were educating people in a positive way mm. to say, right, if you're having Earl Grey, you need three minutes or whatever it is. You yeah. need, is three minutes, right? Uh, yeah, three, okay. I mean, three to five minutes is a... Is um, so I remembered, I remember. Um, and, uh, but you made it an experience, right? And I think so many people, you know, get the tea bag and they're like, Jesus, three quid for, you know, hot water. And I think... Um, by you doing that was great. The egg time was great. The facts were great. Mm-hmm. It provided a little bit of talkability if you're with someone. Um, yeah. And and I've just kind of it's always just stuck in my mind about yeah. the brewing times and it just met, met your knowledge. And I remember as well, 
you being positive again, but saying to people, you don't want your coffee like a hundred degrees. You know, you want it at this and this is why. And, you know, and I think that that's a good thing, you know, where people then could take those pub facts, I suppose, and they could share them amongst their friends and look like a connoisseur. And so you're kind of positively helping people understand. Yeah, I think yeah. it's really good. You can't always give customers what they want because they don't yeah. necessarily know what they want. Yeah. But then you can't also tell them they don't know what they want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you've got to find a way to, um, to serve a to serve a product you're proud of mm. where um, where you do it in a way that makes it exciting or is enticing for them and so um, with things like tea and coffee where people have very strong emotional attachment to their, their, their daily tea and coffee and to suddenly tell them that what you're serving is better or you're going to serve it in a different way can mm. be an affront to their um, to their yeah. you know, almost sense of self so you have to you have to make it um make it interesting yeah. give them a fact or, or, or steer them around a, steer them around the subject in a different way well i think you guys go about it in a humble way and i, I just remember you know you know it's a fessing up we you know did a little bit of work together way back and we talked about better coffee and saying better coffee and yeah. You know, Nick's initial reaction was like, I don't think we can say that because I, I feel like it's arrogant and, yeah. you know, and all these things. So I think it's testament to, you know, I think eventually it did come out when you felt more comfortable. But, you know, I think that's that's what it was. But then you don't want to be preaching to people, you know, yeah, and, sure. and, you know, I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah. So We're actually building on that, that statement of making better coffee and, and better make coffee yeah. with our new brand launch, which is happening soon. With yeah. The and building better communities by us yeah. doing this and, you know, all yeah. these things I think is really good. Yeah. So a couple of things that I was thinking about, you know, just kind of lessons learned then. So you've kind of had, what, three, four-ish journeys, you know? Yeah. What if you were to start again and you were lucky enough to have all the knowledge stored? Yeah. What would you do? What wouldn't you do? What would you be thinking about? Uh, yeah, good question. It's, <laughs> it's one I should probably reflect on. and, and, and um, it's, it's so important, I think, with a business to have focus. Mm. Businesses grow they, and they iterate in, in, you know, over just so many times. Um, and actually, it's, it's a question I'd almost turn back to you because... Mm-hmm. What I, what I find most interesting with um, Taylor Street and with, with other, other businesses is that brands evolve. Mm-hmm. And if a brand is evolving, how do you take your, your customers and the people who know about your brand, how do you take them on that journey mm-hmm. so that they are caught up with you? Because yeah. I quite often feel that where we are as a business in terms of our concept of who we are mm-hmm. is probably quite a, a few steps ahead of where our customers think we are. Mm-hmm. And so we're still um, telling the story that we're um, a whole coffee, we're a coffee brand now, okay? We're not just a cafe brand, mm-hmm. we're not just retail. But um, most people's experience of us is through the cafes and through our baristas and through the you know the, the, the coffee that they get every day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, bringing people on that journey and um, and you know I think we we're trying to do it through events and through the content we put on social media and um, and all these other channels. But yeah. it's a uh, almost marketing and communications yeah. novices. Um, yeah. we've, we've got to do a much better job of that. So. I think you're doing the right stuff. I mean, there's there's no... There's a couple of things. I think it's about, as you see, brands evolving rather than just complete 
you know, sort of anarchy or completely, you know, your your pizza business one minute and then all of a sudden you're doing burgers, you know, and that's different. I think as you're evolving, it's just about that continual reinforcement of, you know, when you go away and think about it and you say, right, we're a coffee business now rather than a retail shop business, then I don't think it's too big a leap for people to make as long as you talk to them little and often, like constantly. And, you know, you'll get sitting in meetings going, God, we've said that same thing for two years now. You kind of just need to keep saying it. Mm -hmm. And I think as long as you don't surprise or shock people with something that they're not expecting, then I think it's all right. You know, and, and it's just that constant communication, figuring out where their attention is, where they're going to, you know, take in the news, you know, enough sort of thing. I mean, that's all you can do. And and hope that you've got a strong enough, as you were saying earlier, relationship and rapport yeah. that the right people will come with you. Sometimes what's hard as well is if you're a cult brand or a startup brand mm-hmm. and then you're wanting to go mass, I mean, that's one of the hardest things in the world, you know. And sure. I remember, you know, with the small batch guys, I think I said it up, podcast before but when they had site number two they were getting called star batch yeah it's just like so you know some people won't come with you on the journey but you hopefully will find more people that are the right people to to go with you i mean i think union did a really good job when they became you know when they launched the home stuff you know when it became make your account what does it make your house a coffee house or make your home a coffee house or something i I just i I thought they they did it brilliantly and Mm -hmm. I think it's you. You need to spend good amounts of time on it and really think through every single step. Yeah. So you know, if you look at Pret, you know that we're just talking about you know the potential of Pret and Eat getting together, yeah. Preet or whatever you call it. But I think um, you know again, if you go from nineteen eighty six to sort of where it's at now, yeah, it's changed radically but so much of it's the same. You know what I mean? So sure. it's, it's just that balance of keeping your core principle. It's about having, as you say, focus and solidity from day one. Yeah. Because most people don't do that, so they don't actually have focus. That's why it's all over the shop. Sure. And then they change it completely, and then that's why everyone's like, what the what? Yeah, right. But if you spend all of your time and effort nailing that, everything else becomes academic because whatever that brand thing is, that informs your culture, your products and services, and your reputation. Yeah. And that's that's all there ever is, yeah, you know? Sure. And as long as you've got that tight, you're, you're laughing, you know? Yeah. But most people don't put the thought in. Yeah. It's like, the good example is, and it's an advert, but you know the Sony Balls advert, where all the balls went down the hill kind of thing? Apparently it took 18 months to write the brief, but it didn't take long to then do the ad. So it took 18 months of all the figuring out of this colour like no other. Mm-hmm. Once you get to that, everything else is academic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like that, but yeah. And and it's hard because I don't think there's enough marketing expertise in our industry really mm-hmm. because it's not a particularly well-paid industry. Yeah. So you got a lot of great people going to finance and, you know, retail and all these things. But, you know, I think there's that as well. So And also so many of our shops and restaurants and all these things are very operator led yeah sure so you've kind of got operators who are like no 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 no. i want to sell now and then you think brand is not particularly important so yeah. smash all that together yeah. <laughs> it's no yeah. wonder you've got problems you well know? i think um 
you know, what, what, what we offer our wholesale accounts now and, and what we offer, you know, larger businesses is really a, a whole package yeah. because you can't build a successful cafe business, retail business, if you haven't got your people strategy right. Yeah. Um, it often comes down to there's a, there's a number of good roasters out there mm-hmm. uh, and you could use any one of them. But the quality of the coffee is important, but that's not going to get the customers in the door every day. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the people who do that. The coffee is important, the equipment you use, but also the way you design your bar and making yeah. sure that the flow works for both customers mm-hmm. and people behind the bar. So we offer this package where we actually support people in creating their, their, their businesses around all those different elements. Oh. Um, because we're for using, the people that are buying your coffee, oh, that's yeah, good. And, that, and because we want them to be successful, yeah, um, yeah. It's not altruistic. The more mm. the more successful they are, the more coffee they're buying. Um, obviously, but um, but also, you know, we want to see people be successful because mm. it's so rewarding to build a business and mm. to you know to train people and to um, you know to, to to build that regular customer base. It's um, it's a incredibly satisfying um, business to be, and I think it's what gets people into hospitality and keeps mm-hmm. people in them uh, it keeps people in, in the industry yeah um, it may not be a, a paying as much as finance but it's um but it's certainly you know, a lot more fun, a lot more fun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah you know we were talking earlier about employee engagement you know you did a lot in that area and you were really quite groundbreaking so was there a few things you were like super proud of in the employee engagement side of things yeah um it's i mean the, the sort of the with Taylor Street, we've always been able to attract people based on, you know, the, the brand and, and people were aware of Taylor Street and mm-hmm. the quality of the product and so on. With um, with Harrison Hall, starting completely fresh mm-hmm. and um, and we were going to to places like Pinner and, and, and Reading and so on and having to recruit people who may, uh, were, were very likely never to have had a good coffee, mm-hmm. like especially coffee. Um I certainly didn't know who Harrison Hall were, and we had to attract people, find the people who had the right, um, the right, you know, uh, what we call strengths mm-hmm. for the role, and we had um, uh, strengths that were outlined and defined for different roles in the business. Mm-hmm. So whether you're a, a shop manager, a system manager, the, the front of house team, or a barista, mm-hmm. and then when we were recruiting, we were looking for people with the right strengths and then they would be kind of put into the different roles mm-hmm. um, that we that we thought they'd be best in. And um, that strength-based recruitment was um, the sort of uh, rolled out by Charlie Glynn, who was our, um, our, our people director, mm-hmm. and um, also had Rachel Power, um, who now works with us. At, um, she's now our head of people at, um, at Taylor Street okay. and she was um, with Harrison Hall almost from day one. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's been really instrumental in us um, in being able to create and scale um, mm-hmm. quality coffee businesses. But when we would go to a new, a new town, um, you know, we'd be recruiting and, um, and looking for the right, the right personalities mm-hmm. um, so that we could then teach them the skills and they would yeah. then take that and grow. So. And what about um, innovation and tech and stuff? Because you're quite techy um, in a way. And when I go to maybe a few meetings with suppliers and the latest gadget that's came out of it, it's always yeah. like Taylor Street's one of the clients or testing it. Or, sure, you know, yeah. So I'm always like, oh, bloody hell, these guys are thinking. So what have you got on the go at the moment? You know, what tech's been successful? What have you tried that's not been successful? You know, what's yeah. been going on there? I mean, the, uh, the app 
We mm. we used so we we um, actually developed that uh, with along with well we developed it in partnership with Pepper, um, who were the the agency behind it. Oh yeah, Pe- um, yeah. was it Pepper HQ? Pepper HQ, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so um, so they they consulted us. Uh, we're lucky to have Richard um, Richard Share, our co CEO, mm-hmm. business, and he actually came from a digital background. Um, and so in designing that app, um, we were looking for all the things that are important for, for you know, customer flow and value. Mm-hmm. And, um, and on the back of that, uh, that's, that's a white label app. So now actually Pret use that app and, and oh, right. other big businesses. So you can pre-order, you, mm-hmm. can, um, you can walk into a, a, a location, your phone's in your pocket, you've set it to automatic check-in. Um, and so you can basically come out of a tube station uh, pre-order your coffee if you want to be ready in four to seven minutes. Um, but you can also um, walk into a location um, and just walk up to the counter and place your order and then pay with the app. And mm-hmm. um, your your name's actually, um, your name and your face is um, on the POS, the point of sale. And um, and you never even take your phone or any payment out of your pocket. It just... Uh, it just um, it's just talking to each other. You approve other. it, yeah, and then um, your order goes through. It comes out with the with, with the barista and so on. So um, that's that's a few years old now. It's been really successful. But you were in super early though. You were one yeah. of the first doing it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, then um, is there a loyalty card part to it as well? Is it? Yeah. It's a oh yeah, I think yeah, I saw that. Loyalty, loyalty payments. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so that's been really good. Um, I think a lot of the design and layout for. Mm. The business has been quite innovative. Uh-huh. Um, so breaking down barriers between customers and baristas, people are very um, they like to they like to watch. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so finding a way to let them watch, mm-hmm. um, but without actually preaching or, or educating them, that's what they yeah. that's what they enjoy. So it's a bit of theatre, isn't it? Yeah, it's the theatre without. You know, otherwise, you've just got people behind, hidden behind the machine. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't know what the baristas are doing at Starbucks because yeah. they put this big machine in front of yeah, you. Yeah. Actually, they're just pushing a button and putting a cup underneath. Whereas with us, you can see that every barista's hand making a coffee, mm-hmm. and so you can see that skill set, that artisan, um, that, that experience. And so that's that was um, uh, an innovation for us. We try and. Um, uh, incorporate that into bar designs and, and help people to, to develop it. Um, machines, so we've always um, yeah looked at the, the best equipment on yeah. the market, working with really good um, manufacturers. So Victoria Arduino, mm-hmm. the um, World Research Championship machine sponsor for um, eight years or so now. Mm-hmm. Um, they've put a lot of a new new technology into the market. Um, Did you ever fancy going for it? Uh, I did. A, I competed in two thousand seven. Yep, yep. What happened? Um, I was I was terrible. This was two thousand seven. Oh. <laughs> this wasn't the world level. This was actually just a UK heat. Right, right. Um, and I always say I got beaten by the guy who actually won that year. So uh-huh. it's okay. That's alright. Um, yeah, it was James Hoffman's year. So, oh, nice. um, yeah, but um, I did win the uh, UK Tea Brewing Championship though, and, oh. and, and the UK Coffee Cup Tasting Competition. So. I've competed in other things. Just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The barista competition is a phenomenal level of That's like rock and roll now, isn't it? innovation. Yeah, it's really rock. It's like the end of the karate kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, what about um, trends then? So, you know, you've got your coffee and tonic stuff mm-hmm. going on. Where's Where's your head at in terms of all that? Yeah, so you loving it, hating it. 
Uh, look, I think it's where it's where the market's going to a degree. I think um, a lot of, uh, especially cafes, for many years were very focused on uh, a very like pure coffee menu. Mm. Okay, it's just coffee. You know, mm. we'll add some milk. You can have this kind of soy milk, and but we don't do anything else. There's no other ingredients added. Yeah. But now. With um, mixology, with different trends in um, in cocktails, and people are realizing you can add other ingredients to coffee. You don't detract from the coffee, um, and it's a, a nice experience for, for mm. customers. It's also you know just good for business because yeah, you're yeah. putting something on the menu which um, which is unique to your shop, which mm. has a higher um, ticket price. So it can be good for um, you know cash contribution. So yeah, I'm all for it. But again, you know, you build around quality ingredients. Um, sorry for the, the grinder going downstairs. Well, sure we're in a working roastery, yeah. right? So roastery, there's no apologies yeah. for that. <laughs> you know, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Just on that yeah. point, actually, then. So, um, where do you stand on the freshness of beans? So coffee is a very um, volatile product, uh-huh. and um, and from roasting, you you generally try and consume it between seven days from roast, as a general rule, mm. and up to about you know twenty eight days from roast, thirty days from roast. It's still it's still it's really good. It's in its mm. optimum in that window, um, but basically, as soon as it's out of the roaster, it's oxidizing. And, um, and it's degassing and oxidizing. So degassing, there's a, a carbon dioxide in the, mm-hmm. in the coffee and um, when it's roast, it's a byproduct of the roasting process. So you want to kind of let that carbon dioxide um, leave the bean because that stops the, it restricts the solubility of the, um, the coffee. So you don't um, dissolve as much, you don't extract as much, you don't get as much of the, the flavors you're after. But then after you've, you've lost some of that carbon dioxide, then you're... Um, continuing to lose the volatile aromatics which are contributing to the complexity of the overall coffee that you're about to drink and so you want to um, drink it within that sort of window of 7 to 30 days um, what about fresh fresh yeah fresh I'm confused because yeah. it wasn't what I've learned before sure. so almost straight out the roaster into- yeah so fresh straight out of the roaster what you'll see is um yeah, lots of carbon dioxide, so it really bubbles up when you brew it as espresso. Mm. It's really um, kind of frothy, big yep. crema. Um, that actually just, it, it, it would just taste more bitter um, and you will extract less. Mm. So it's not, not ideal. Um, we would always cup coffee um, 12 to 24 hours after we've roasted it yep. to get a sense of the quality of that roast. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, that's kind of... Uh, professional industry standard. Yeah. Um, so about seven days is the first marker to seven probably days, yeah. have. If you're if you're buying a coffee from from a, a local roaster, they'll have the the roasting date on the packet. So yeah. just look at that and just think: Can I for the amount of coffee I'm buying, can I drink it within mm. this window of time? Yeah, yeah. And you'll see the coffee evolves. So the coffee yeah. changes over time. Sometimes it even goes through these little waves where it's like better one day and not so oh, good a couple of days later, and then it gets better again. So um, oh. yeah, it's a it's a live a live fresh product. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and so when the, you grind it, on the other hand, then you, you you lose freshness for ground coffee very fast. Oh, so yeah. So you, you want to just yeah. grind it straight away. Grind yeah, it, yeah. Grind it straight and drink it. Yeah, yeah. And bar grinders rather than the blade. Blades. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consistency of grind size. Yeah. yeah. So the last couple of things I was just going to ask then was. Um, 
a sort of new feature that we have on the podcast, which yeah. is called Market of Ten. So it's just to find out about your tastes and what's going on and all sure. the rest of it. So best city to eat in? Um, Sydney. Okay. Culturally diverse, mm-hmm. amazing, like spectrum of food from um, street food to really high-end innovative cuisine. Um, it's back there and um, in January and you go into a cafe, it was um, the Paramount Coffee Project, it's in Surrey Hills mm-hmm. and um, it's a tiny kitchen, they've got um, Asian fusion brunch, um, lots of ferments going on with eggs, great coffee, such, a, such an amazing experience. Yeah. yeah. Best restaurant you've ever been to? There's a, um, I can't remember the name, it's um, New York City and it is um, a Japanese-French fusion, um, but very high-end. Mm. Uh, again, after that in the show notes, but yeah, just super delicious. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, best dish ever? Um, love and hate these questions because uh, <laughs> my, my, my short-term memory is, is deteriorated by uh, mm. too much coffee, I think, sometimes. And... Um, let me come back to that. Okay. Yep. Best drink. So you're allowed a coffee one and then a non-coffee one. What's your go-tos? If I go into a cafe? Yeah. Um, so the, the went to um, maybe maybe another, another story, but the um, there's a there's a coffee brand in Australia called Owner, mm-hmm. and um, Owner have super innovative as a, as a coffee business and went to their um, their new place in Marrickville and mm. they um, they've started doing a and this relates to coffee freshness but they started doing a, a reserve coffee menu mm. and um, really cool because you've got a um, their standard coffee menu you just order you know flat white or whatever else but um, and they've got um, different different blends you can you can drink that uh, for, that they recommend for black and white but then with their reserve menu they've got um, a selection of filter coffees okay. and, and espressos and they're actually freezing the roasted coffee so what I said before about um, yep. about coffee freshness within this 30 day window um, they're freezing roasted coffee so you could drink it three months later or, or six months later ah. and not lose that quality it has to be cold like it's i think it's got to be colder than 18 celsius minus right. 18 celsius and that was that was really cool um but yeah go to in a in a cafe um often in the morning it's espresso based and in the mm. afternoon it's it's a a, a, a filter coffee of yeah. some kind yeah so you're not and in the milky areas tea, you're tea all pure. the time yeah yeah just don't yeah. <laughs> um yeah. alcoholic drink uh Yes, so um, mostly yeah, craft beers and, and wines. Uh, lots of um, I like session pale ales. Is that a favourite? Um, Is that all? So little little faith are doing a really good. Um, it's a um, a pale ale a session mm. a session pale ale, but it's got um, Belgian um, Belgian yeast in it. Okay. So it's um, that's really tasty. Okay. Yeah, uh, we can try one of those later. <laughs> um, and. Um, yeah, and then otherwise, um, yeah, lots of natural wines and, and different wines from nice. Australia and Italy mostly. Yeah. Worst restaurant that worst you've restaurant. ever been to? Yeah. Um, Final question. 
<laughs> it's funny because so much of the worst restaurant is not just a food experience, it's a service experience. Yeah. yeah. But I won't, I won't name and shame, but um, actually, I mean, you'd have to say it's, it's that sort of um, classic cookie cutter English pub where you go in there and you know that everything's fresh out of the freezer um, and it's the lowest quality. And not the coffee. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's just, you just wonder how, um, how the world got to this stage where, um, where serving food of that, that sort of quality of nature is, is acceptable on any level. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. All right. Well, Best dish, do you have any final thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I haven't come up with anything. Okay, um, show notes. Uh, why not? I've got one. Um, I used to work in a restaurant called Metzaluna in Sydney, and, uh-huh. um, and there was this one special they had on the menu at, at the time. It was um, uh, beetroot, braised duck, and truffle lasagna. Oh, yeah, good one. Really delicious. Yes, yeah, it's great. Super rich, yeah, incredibly yeah. savoury. Bit yeah, of umami stuff. Just outstanding, lots of umami, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, listen, Andrew, thanks so much for your time. Um, it's been great to find out yeah. a lot more about you and your story Pleasure. and the story of Taylor Street, obviously. So, yeah, wish you well. Thank and you much, um, yeah. yeah, continue to grow and we'll, we'll get the whole gang on next time. Yeah, looking forward to more podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. So there you have it. What an incredible chat with Andrew Tolley. So much to talk about, so much to get inspired by and what a crazy, crazy path to becoming one of the coolest and most assured coffee companies that are in the UK. I'm really excited to see what they're going to do next. A massive thanks to Gaz and Gabby for all of their help in putting the podcast together. A huge thanks to BDO as well for all of their continued support from day one on the Supersonic podcast. A massive thanks also to all of you that are listening. We've really been bobbing around the charts really well lately, so it's really exciting. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Thanks so much for listening. Bless you. And I really do hope that this podcast has brought you so much value that's going to help your brand boom.